Hey, hey! <laughs> Father Harrison, uh, we weren't going to do this. This is going to be just a quick spoiler-free commentary, because I did see the new Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And um, I I'm sure people on the internet have many opinions about the Star mm -hmm. Wars, but I thought it was a very good Star Wars. Um, I think the biggest problem with Star Wars is that people expect too much out of their Space Wizards, and I don't. I thought it was the best of the new three, and that's that's my commentary. I enjoyed it greatly. A little long. I enjoyed it but too. It was very I have thoughts yeah. and stuff, but I will just yeah keep that to myself. Yeah, for now. I thought it was a it good was fun. Star Wars. It was fun, but yeah, yeah. yeah anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're recording on Christmas Eve today. Yes, yes the day. Yes, it's it's one of those few days where pretty much you never have appointments. Yeah, yeah. If you're smart, <laughs> yes. Now, what one people won't people won't schedule an appointment with you. They just no, won't, exactly uh, on Christmas Day. Um, so that means that means when Nick is, uh, we're gonna make uh, Nick, producer Nick, edit this podcast Christmas Day. He can't open any presents. Oh, I like it until Christmas Day. We will be the Ebenezer Scrooges. He will be the Bob Marley like asking for another coldie put on the fire. Yes. We will say no. Work. I like this. So I've been prepping for Christmas. Uh, yeah. So on Sunday, I, uh, it's funny. I people were giving me a hard time about this. I'm like, well, the closest mall is an hour away, and uh, yeah. it was the only day I was kind of near there, and it was the only time I had to go shopping. So I went shopping on a Sunday. I know, I know, I hear you, but sometimes uh, the happiness of your nieces on Christmas morning require this. But after my experience shopping, I think I'm a communist now. You think, well, this is a huge development. <laughs> That's tongue-in-cheek, folks. This I mean, is tongue-in-cheek, okay? I mean, but being yeah. Canadian, you're only a step away from being communist, exactly. right? Isn't that how that exactly. works? Exactly. You're always looming over the edge of communism if you live in Canada. After doing Christmas, I haven't, I mean, I never go to malls anymore. Right. Who needs to? I, I, all my clothes are the same every day. Like, why well, go to the mall, right? Are your clothes are the same. Yeah. You got Amazon Prime. Yeah. You're good to go. Uh, but because of just my lack of planning, maybe, or... I just I'm not good at Christmas shopping anymore, and and I needed to get some stuff for the parish too because I always like to give out like Purdy's chocolates, like nice chocolates to everyone who helps out around Christmas. Uh, oh, you know, nice. it's important to do these things. But um, you know, so I was like standing at the Walmart trying to find some Barbie dolls for my nieces because they like Barbies. Mm -hmm. I'm standing, and it's like it's a zoo. It's a zoo. No one knows how to walk. People are literally trying to like, almost bang their cart into you to tell you to move, even though you were there first, even though you're looking for Christmas gifts for your nieces. And then people don't know how to walk in the mall. And everyone's rude to you, including the store managers and everything. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, kill capitalism now. Wow. That's, it uh, was a sounds like a very traumatic experience. Horrible experience, and I'm never shopping again. But on the other side, on that note, on the other side, on the other <laughs> side, though, I also then uh, yesterday I was able to squeeze in some time for some, you know, I, I spoke a couple weeks ago about my instant pot. I've also developed yes. another hobby, hobby in these last few weeks. I've also you're baking, I'm baking man. You're baking like a lot. too. I baked my I, I, I went for my second attempt at the uh, peppermint cheesecake with I'm changing it up a bit this time. So it's peppermint cheesecake again with mm -hmm. candy cane chunks in it. Oh, yes. Yes, please. And it's amazing. It turned out so good. I was so I got home from uh, seeing Star Wars last night, and I was cut I was, this time I'm cutting it. Instead of cutting it up into big 
triangles it's into little squares and or little pieces and then today i'm mm-hmm. going to just get hardening chocolate and make my my cream cheese drizzle and just drizzle it on top of that usually the, the oh, recipe says just dip it in chocolate but then you lose all the cheesecakeness so this mm-hmm. way i just want to highlight it with chocolate this time instead of overwhelm it with chocolate look at you and it, i had a couple of those pieces last night i'm like oh my gosh this is really really it turned out so good and i made sugar cook- i made a couple dozen sugar cookies yesterday and uh yeah, so I'm going to make the icing today on the sugar cookies and then bring them over to my family's place on Christmas Day for, for desserts. Beautiful. It's been awesome. I'm like, this is kind of fun. And, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'm reflecting this more. I have some ideas like how baking uh, can reveal some things about the Christian life. <laughs> of course. No. Of course. <laughs> Oh, what, what's the beautiful. too hot temperature in your life? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but yeah, so welcome to Clerically Speaking. How are you, uh, How are you, Father Anthony? I'm Father Harrison. That's Father Anthony. I'm Father yeah. Anthony. <laughs> I just said yeah, it. I no, just no, it's good, it's good. So yeah. my shopping experience was much nicer. So so as, as a preface to this, I have always been terrible at gift giving. Mm-hmm. You know the whole love language thing? Like the whole gift giving one is utterly foreign I'm to me. I'm, I'm terrible I'm at gift giving. I'm terrible at gift receiving. I don't know what to do when I receive a gift. I don't think about it. And so I am the lamest member of the Shrapa household whenever it comes to Christmas because it's very unlikely that everyone has been gotten a gift. Right. It'll be like a month later, I, I will realize that I have not bought my brother a gift. And I'll be like, oh, do you want this thing? And he goes, yeah. And then I'll buy it. Okay. Now, they're all used to this. They know this. But uh, Monday was my day off, yeah. and I went shopping with uh, my other uh, brother, Matthew, who's in from New York. Yeah. And we crushed it. We got all the shopping done in like an hour at the uh-huh. mall. The mall that we're at, it's very nice. And people were nice. There wasn't a lot of people. It was a very pleasant experience. We got done way early. I hate you so and much right for now. The first, for the first time, I have I have gifts for all my immediate family and Mrs. soon-to-be Mrs. Producer Nick Riley. Uh-huh. Uh, so well, I, I was in a great What did you get them? Because by the time this releases, they'll have opened their presents. So there's a lovely little distillery that's growing in Pittsburgh called Wiggle Whiskey. Uh-huh. So I got Nick a bottle of whiskey. I don't even know what it is, but it's called St. Nick. I'm like, okay, that's good for <laughs> hey, him. It's going to be a great way for him uh, to find out what his Christmas present is because as he's editing this before you open presents, he's going to find this out. Right? right, exactly. But you don't get to drink a drop of it, Nick. Not a drop until you edit the podcast. And if I see you open that gift before you edit this podcast, I'm going to drink all the whiskey in front of you. And then probably die because <laughs> it's a sizable bottle. <laughs> so, yeah, so you got a whiskey. Uh, yes, and like, uh, and I got uh, bourbon for Riley. Uh-huh. And basically most of the shopping was done at this whiskey place. <laughs> so wh- And some gin for my yeah, dad. Nice. Um, yeah, the shoppers are uh, easy that way. And then I got my mom some, like, uh, eye cream and some, um, oh, I, want to, I always say this wrong, uh, macrons? Mac- mac- you know those little fancy cookies? Yeah. Macarons? What are they called in French land? Macaroons? Macaroons? That's why I call them, but like someone will correct me. I don't know, but I got the fancy cookies. Um, And then my brother got a Amazon Kindle because he likes reading comic books and stuff. And it was great. It was a great time. So I have to, after this podcast, uh, pray some more, get ready for my four o'clock Christmas Eve mass, my midnight mass, then my 8 a.m. mass. But I chose that. So one, the time we scheduled these masses was like months ago and at the time i was the, still a new priest still the youngest priest and so i get the midnight mass 
And then I asked for the 8 o'clock mass, because this is the game plan. I'm going to wake up feeling miserable, drink just so much coffee, say mass, and then I get to go home. And home's only like 45 minutes away. So that's the game plan. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm, I'm also just kind of curious, what, what did you get me? Where did I get you? <laughs> <laughs> I got you... Um, the gift of our friendship. Ah. You know, sometimes when you don't get something from your from your dearest friends on Christmas, it, it hurts. It suffers. Oh, it's a suffering, yes. right? It is a real mm. suffering, kind of like purgatory, which we're going to talk about in the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about man way to go you know what my gift was to you that moment it was a setup for an excellent transition Merry Christmas. <laughs> so the summa uh, theologica was saint thomas aquinas summary of theology and the summa tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on twitter so yes the first one is from at hallie carrots Haley carrots Haley stewart my 10 year old making light conversation with baptist relatives so do y'all believe in indulgences Five minutes later. You don't believe in purgatory? Oh, this poor child. And I just <laughs> He's I like, thought this was delightful. It's like actually I've been seeing a lot of these lately. Kids are like going to talk to these different family members and they're just like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You you don't you don't believe this? Like what what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's like this total shock and awe in them that there are people out there who don't have a Catholic worldview. Well, even what's more surprising to me is that a ten-year-old is talking mm-hmm. about indulgences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what delightful get and the job, Stewart family to go up to Baptists to talk about indulgences and just have a conversation. That's amazing. Hey, let's talk about uh, how what you how you can buy a piece of paper that's gonna get you to heaven, right? Because <laughs> nothing will make a Baptist happier than hearing about this. No, I'm kidding. Of course, obviously, indulgences aren't about buying. Of course, I'm joking. I'm joking. Right. Uh, but also, I, I mean, on a, on a deeper level, I think this very often, it seems like a lot of conversations between Catholics and Protestants are the Protestants asking the Catholic the questions. And that's, I don't know if the conversa- we should hold the conversation on that ground. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of conversations, a lot of questions that Protestants need to answer, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming from our perspective. Like, okay, so then why do you believe there's one church? Um, or even like, you know, the Christians have always prayed for the dead. Why don't you pray for the dead? Yeah. If the first, you know, apostles prayed for the dead, why don't you pray for the dead? Stuff like that. And um, not to be, like, super aggressive about it, because that's not helpful to anybody. But I think very often we we end up uh, doing apologetics, but really we should be making Protestants do the apologetics. Because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that early Christians believe that they don't, and right. they have to answer why. Right. And and I think what the other nice thing is, is his reactions and everything shows he understands the connection between indulgences and purgatory. 
that the yeah, guy's like, right. wow, this is uh, some good spiritual intuition here. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. Okay, this one is from Father Joseph Krupp at Joe in Black. And he tweets, if I weren't Catholic and walked in on Catholic Twitter, I'd find the claimed beauty of the faith obscured by constant criticisms and liturgical let's say bickering Bickering. let's censor and say bickering (laughs) so he's coming on another tweet a very typical thing that like uh, an image from a latin mass and then an image from a novus order mass and like what looks more catholic and there's a lot that could be conversation that we had around that but just i have taken a break from catholic twitter this advent um though that will be broken at four o'clock this evening because it'll be christmas Mm -hmm. and my fast will be over now I've checked the DMs a few times, but I've been mostly off, and mm-hmm. I haven't really looked at any posts. Um, so there will be the joyful return of the King of Catholic Twitter. Uh, whoa, think... whoa, 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 whoa! Did you not see my crown? No, I did not see your crown. Oh wait, yes, I did. You were see there your crown. when I was crowned. You were crowned uh, King of Catholic yeah. Twitter. A gift given to you by at Tea with Token. Yeah. You and Sister Teresa Alethea were yeah, crowned. So, that is and true. So if you deny my crown, you deny Sister's crown, and if you deny Sister's crown, yikes! I'm sorry. I cannot be responsible for her wrath. Okay, so the people's champion will be returning to Catholic Twitter <laughs> at 4 o'clock. I can accept this. I can accept this. <laughs> but uh, I think when you're on Twitter too much, you begin to take Twitter too seriously. Mm-hmm. I do think that that particular social media website, it can give you, if you discern it correctly, it can give you the pulse of what's going on in the world in a certain way. But you always have to remember it's always going to be hyper-concentrated. It's always going to be like this crucible of of catholic thought on there because i mean you've got people who are willing to throw their opinions out on the internet so when they're going to have opinions they're willing to speak them and if they're speaking about catholic thing that's a that's something that they've chosen to do so they're very conscientious about their faith so you can get a lot of intense opinions and that's fine um and indeed a lot of times people calling themselves catholic many of them are will they treat the faith more like a like a bludgeon mm-hmm. instead of some a mystery to delight mm-hmm. in and so it's less and here's the thing here's the thing it's very easy the easy choice is just to be like this is the truth and i can say the truth any way i want to and that kind of attitude with speaking about the faith is a denial of the cross mm-hmm. you're not willing to walk with the weak you're not willing to condescend to have a conversation that doesn't mean you sacrifice the truth um, you know, Jesus Christ walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus in order to bring them back to Jerusalem, but he still walked with them. And if you're not willing to make that walk, then you can be quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, you, your tweets aren't going to save Catholic Twitter or Catholicism or anyone um, if that's what you're trying to do. So I think we just need to relax a little bit around Twitter. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's always important again to remember when we're, we're speaking, I, I've said this before on the podcast, and it just kind of echoes what you're saying. Um, to speak the truth in a beautiful way for the good of the other, right? Mm-hmm. That that always takes the person we're engaging with to be a reality. And, and it's just important that we are doing this to seek the truth. And if we use the, the truth as a bludgeon and as a weapon, I'm not saying that there aren't times where, there are times where the truth needs to be spoken in a blunt way to bring something out of people's hearts. But A, that usually comes from holding an office in the church and over people you have authority over, <laughs> right? right? 
like if you're a parent, you use your authority in a charitable way for the good for the good of your children. Sometimes it's about having to speak a truth honestly to them, or as a priest, or as a bishop, or whatever. Um, but if you don't, you know, it, it's just not it's not a willy nilly authority that you can just you don't have authority yeah. over everyone. And so it's about having this recognition of like, where what what is your your state of life actually in the church and what does that mean in terms of how you express the truth because otherwise we're gonna see well i i yeah this like there's really there is really a a, a connection i think between office and state of slash state of life and to whom we have the rights and responsibilities to expressing elements of truth to does that make sense yeah it does and that's a little bit i think we mentioned this before um that uh Tom Squires talks about you can't do the right thing in the wrong way. You have to do the right, right thing in the right, right. way. That's a, and also uh, just to plug what, uh, our conference we did months ago. Um, mm. Check out um, the De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture on YouTube. De Nicola D E N I C O L A Center YouTube that and check out uh, our panel because that that gives a lot of what we think about Twitter. So this one's from at Catholic Ken. Catholic Ken. Uh, I know it's cool to dunk on Matthew Kelly. But I've enjoyed numerous Best Lent Advent series enriching my daily prayer. Great. But then he has a second up, a second comment here. He goes, yesterday's video irked me. And this is from December 17th, so probably the one on the 16th. Instead of anything else, it was just an ad for the Ambassadors Club rather than a spiritual reflection. And it has hurt my opinion of Dynamic Catholic. I guess, it, I mean, people know how I feel about some ministries in the church. But, you know, I think it's sad and this is where it's like you got to be careful about how we ask for things like money and support of ministry. When you're offering a campaign like best, like for spiritual enrichment of Advent or Lent, it should just be that. And to remove a spiritual reflection to make an ask, I think, is not okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's tough. So there's, I mean, we've we've hot shotted a lot of opinions about different. Um, mm-hmm either Catholic speakers or organizations out there. Um, that's not to say that there isn't some good in mm-hmm. there. Uh, and to, to butcher a quote from St. Paul, all things work for the good for those who are you know faithful. Um, so yeah, if someone who we don't like says something good about the rosary or helps you spiritually, that's the Holy Spirit working and good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. That's fine. Um, but I think we also have an obligation to take a closer look at a lot of these organizations, publications, mm-hmm. speakers, uh, because who the person is, how the company is run is also very important um, because that's how, without without taking a closer look at that sort of stuff, that's how you get problems in the church. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, asking for, it's tricky. It's tricky. It's very tough. Ministry, and this is a thing I've been, I think I've been talking about for a while, but uh, I'm going to repeat myself. We live in a very odd time in the church where the laity is asked to do a lot. And there are many very good laity who are faithful and have some amazing gifts who are doing great work for the church. But the burden of ministry, I think, affects laity in a heavier way than it would be clergy and religious. Like back in the day, you've got a problem, you found a religious order, these people devoted to it, they live in a way that it's easier to approach this problem, they can do it. Now you have to do this kind of ministry, but also with a family, and that means you need to support them, and that really complicates things and makes it difficult, mm-hmm. which is not to say it shouldn't happen, but I think it's unfortunate that it has to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Um, I get, I, I know and it's just, yeah, because I know I've know I have a lot of friends who are in ministry. I know a lot of people in ministry, and I always um, really feel for them because it's it's a particularly difficult cross to take up along with the vocation of married life. Yeah, yeah, there is a, there is a huge cross with it, and it demands more than just like a regular job and stuff like this, and and that has a and that can have a weight on the family and stuff. So, anyways, but yeah, like I think I don't know. I just I, I, I think for Ken there, like what was off-putting for him was that instead of a spiritual reflection, you're just doing an ask for money. And I, that's where I get frustrated. I think there are times and places you need to ask for money, but also I'm like, I think it's just important to just kind of trust that, you know, if people want to support it, they will, right? You, you let mm-hmm. them know that it's out there. Like you can put a little link at the end of the video, like what you heard here, click here to be part of our ambassadors club or something like that, right? I think right. that's a lot more natural instead of just removing a whole spiritual reflection for the sake of an ad. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Okay, this one is from Celeste at Celeste underscore CC7. Uh, Eliana screaming about Peter. Mommy, he's doing something he's not supposed to. What? He's saying the words Father Jan is supposed to say, so I told him to stop because he's not our priest. And this brought up a memory when I was an altar server that I would actually say the words of consecration quietly because I thought like, oh, look, I know the things. I'm a good altar server. I know all the words. And then I was serving one day with another altar server who also knew the words. And we were young, so it became a competition. So we kept saying the words louder and louder and louder and louder. And then the priest, and this priest was not a conservative priest at all. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. He just looks over to us and shakes his head. And it was the most terrifying thing, just being rebuked mm-hmm. by the priest in the middle of the thing. Because it's true. Those are the words that the priest says at mass. Yeah. Uh, now, I think I think I would make it a caveat. I think it's is a good, laudable, and pious thing for kids to like play mass. Uh, I think that's fine. Um, but when you're at least at the liturgy, you should not say the words the priest says. That is a no, no, no. Yeah. Well, although it's interesting, I find when I've been at masses with different languages, I'll maybe kind of murmur them quietly to myself in English, just to help myself know where we're at. Like what? Like when you're attending mass? It's before I was before I was a priest. Before I was a priest. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Not it didn't happen often, but it's and it's always here's the other interesting thing is you know you can you know what Eucharistic prayer the priest is praying by when he does the epiclesis. That is right? true. And the epiclesis is when he uh, the priest you'll you'll notice that when the priest puts his hands like over the gifts. Yeah. That's a, that's usually when and sometimes the bell will ring at that yeah. point in time. That's when you know it's the epiclesis, the calling. So down it comes very Spirit. quickly at Eucharistic prayer too comes moderately at Eucharistic prayer three, comes way later at Eucharistic prayer one. And, th- and there's a fake out. There's the fake out, yes. There's the crossing of the gifts at the beginning, but that's mm-hmm. uh, asking God to bless the gifts. And then Eucharistic prayer four, it's like way, way, way down. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So anyways, yeah, it's just, but and I think it's, it's funny. I had the, you know, it's, it's funny because there's two things going on with that tweet, right? Um, the daughter is recognizing that this is stuff the priest says and does and no one else should be doing yeah. it but mm-hmm. the boy is obviously imitating and loving what the priest does and imitate, yeah. imitating it and that's a good thing too so there are two good things at once in that tweet there's a lot of fun stuff that happens when you're raising your kids Catholic Absolutely. Um, like we were just talking just in this segment we're talking about someone talk, uh, a 10 year old talking about indulgences mm-hmm. little kids discussing the theological implications of saying the words that the priest says it you begin to see a culture forming in a lot of Catholic families. And what's neat is a lot of these young Catholic families didn't necessarily come from a um, 
devoted Catholic family to begin with. Right. The parents are kind of doing this new. Not that their parents were bad or anything, but I've noticed this a lot with Catholic families kind of building a culture from the ground up of Catholicism. Yeah. And it's really beautiful and really neat to yeah. see. Yeah, and it's... And it also shows you, too, that culture, like, even when it's starting off in its more germ form, how organic it is. Like, a par- parents will do things intentionally, but they don't know the things that will rise up out of their kids, right? And that's yeah. how culture works. It's it's like that human response to something that's been fostered in a community like a family. And then and someone's like, I want to do this because we've learned and, and incorporated this into our life. And that's how culture grows and manifests and and gets all sorts of weird branches that come out of it. And it's really kind of beautiful and neat to see. And it also shows you really, too, how quickly culture can form. Right. It's fast. Just a generation. It takes one generation. So, yeah. Cool. Well, let's let's talk about St. Joseph today in, uh, in Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yeah. Yes, quite. Oh, man, I got to wake up, man. I am tired. We're recording, well, at least for me, it's in the morning. And I haven't slept the last couple days, so I need some more coffee here, but... It was amazing. So we, we turned on the video chat, <laughs> and I immediately just started laughing at yeah. you, which uh, I uh, I apologize for sort of. No, it wasn't it mean. It, it but wasn't like... mean at all. It was because it's true. <laughs> yeah. My hair is not my hair is not combed at all. I'm in my house coat. <laughs> it's just like when someone's super tired and they say good morning, and you know they're trying, but you also know they're dying inside. Yeah. It was all of that all at once when yeah. I saw your countenance. Plus, I think I'm coming down with a cold. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. But priests are not allowed to get sick. That would be illegal. I know, but we'll see. I don't. I don't think I'll get the flu because I had the flu shot. But um, when you're hanging around people all the time and you're pushing yourself yeah. at both ends, it mm-hmm. gets the body wears down. Start taking drugs. Yeah. So um, this allowed me to not have to worry too much about prep this week, which is a good thing. Uh, I kind of want to talk about. Um, St. Joseph, but more in particular, uh, the the fourth Sunday gospel we just had um, with yeah. the gospel of Matthew there. Matthew one eighteen to one twenty five, which talks about Joseph and Mary and their relationship and how about when Joseph found out that there is that Mary's pregnant. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because like I tweeted about this and I was actually kind of amazed because I was like, I'm just offering another interpretation has been kind of long. It actually caused quite the debate by people. Some people are very attached to the, probably the interpretation we're used to, which is that Joseph would divorce her because she's committed, he thought he committed adultery. Mm-hmm. And, and some people are, very, I was actually amazed how many people are attached to this as the only possible reading. Now, here's the other thing. First, remember with our, I think it's always important to, to before we start, start start talking about scripture, um, it's important to recognize that when we're talking about interpretation of scripture in the church, if a literal sense allows for a reading of it, it is a legitimate interpretation. It doesn't mean it's like held definitively by the church's magisterium or something like that, but there are like so for example with this reading from the gospel of matthew 
there are two different interpretations. So let me actually just maybe, why don't I pull it up? Because I think it's worth hearing because I, I'm going to, since most of our audience is American, I'm going to use the NAB partially because it's the first thing. Yeah, it's the first, well, it's also the first thing that shows up when I, it's easier to go to USCCB website. So, yep. <laughs> all right. So from the gospel, Matthew, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife into his home. So when we hear this gospel, I think when we first hear it, it just sounds the, the, so there's two, there is, well, there's maybe kind of three traditions in a way, but I'm just going to, I want to just focus on the two. And you said that your deacon preached on this this weekend. Yes, he which did. Is kind mm-hmm. of, I was actually, I was, uh, this, that was a, what a pleasant thing to hear that a deacon would, would take this on as a, as something to, to wrestle over in a homily. Well, it's, he's a transitional deacon. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> permanent deacons, we love you. We love you, permanent love deacons. You. Love, 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 love. All right. So the first, the traditional, or not the traditional, but the the reading most people are 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 used to is this idea that Joseph, and I think it's pretty clear from the English translation there. Uh, this is what Joseph did. There's, there doesn't really need to be any gloss or any explanation. It's it seems very clear on first reading. Yeah. So I don't need to explain that, but I want to explain the other position. It's kind of known as the the reverence tradition. Um. Mm-hmm. Saint, I believe Saint Jerome also preached this too. Saint Thomas was one of the big ones. Saint Thomas Aquinas uh, was one of the big ones for this. Saint Augustine, Saint Augustine went more for the um, divorce tradition. It, it's, but here's the thing: it's like as a, as a side yeah. note, calling it the reverence tradition that is excellent branding. Because like, how do you want to read the Bible? Yeah, exactly. Do you want to read the common interpretation, or are you part of the reverence yeah. tradition? Don't don't you care about reverence? Don't you care about reverence? Yeah. Come on. Uh, anyways, so, well, it's, uh, yeah. So, this is, I, and I, I first read this in Peter uh, Seward's book called Redeemer in the Womb. And it's his whole, it, the whole book is kind of uh, looking at the tradition of the Annunciation and the Incarnation. Great book. Amazing book. And here's how he actually translates the text okay this is how the birth of jesus and i'm paraphrasing a couple words here because i don't have the the book in front of me this is how the birth of jesus christ came about when his mother mary was betrothed to joseph but before they lived together she was found with child through the holy spirit and joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to reveal the mystery decided to remove himself from mary quietly and then the angel. So does there's a question with that. Yeah. Does like the Greek support that? Yes. Does the original 
Yeah. Okay, so I was looking into the Greek. So and this is why, mm-hmm. like, even in in some of the fathers, there's a difference of opinion here because the Greek words allow for this. So mm-hmm. and I think so. This is why, um, and then it goes on with what talks about when the angel comes to visit Joseph, the for the child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He translates it as indeed as indeed instead of for so it's like a confirmation right indeed mm-hmm. you're like in other words you are right that child is of the holy spirit so uh this is why I, I i like this translation and this is the interpretation that i kind of take take with it because i don't know about you but i've always struggled with this idea that they talk about joseph being a righteous man but wants to divorce mary now some people will interpret this as well that's the righteousness of the law Right, right. It's yeah. his. It's his. It's his right as as a Jewish man to divorce Mary. Mm-hmm. But that's not how Matthew means righteousness, right? Matt, yeah. I think I think it's pretty clear that Matthew's holding up righteousness as a virtue. Am I wrong? I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree okay. with you. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, I think all the gospel writers, you know, and and Matthew. The words they use, they choose them very carefully, which I'm going to comment on a little right. bit later. Uh, but yeah, the, and they are building themes. The whole first chapter of Matthew um, is is saying a lot and building the themes that will take you throughout the entire yeah. gospel. So that makes sense. To so me. and 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 the other I think preamble with all this is both Luke and Matthew's gospels really focus on the mystery and the awe of this mystery. Yeah. So for that to work with Joseph's story, I think you have to take a different key. So I, I definitely would argue with this reverence tradition. Um, it's Okay, it, we haven't said what the okay. reverence tradition so, is. Okay. Joseph is a righteous man. He knows the scriptures, right? He 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 knows um, he knows he knows how God works. He sees God at work in Mary. He knows he knows Mary's special when he takes mm-hmm. her as his wife. Um, he perceives the grace that's in her. And that when she's found with child, one of the interpret one of the ways of interpreting it, when it says she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, both of them become aware of this. But this is how Joseph's righteousness plays out. He knows, by virtue of his righteousness, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he is unworthy to be this close to the temple, which is Mary's womb. He knows he is too close to be, the, he's, too, he's too sinful to be close to the ark, etc. His righteousness is, there is a great mystery here. There is something um, in... God is definitively at work in Mary. She is fulfilling what God has promised. And I am too weak to take it up. Now, this is where I think his righteousness... So basically, yeah. So Joseph thinks that he is not worthy to be the husband of Mary. He's not worthy to be the father of this child. Um, And he's afraid of his sinfulness and how that will affect the situation. So he thinks it's best to depart from Mary. Right. And and this is where I think his humanity actually shows too, because I think actually mm-hmm. he takes that too far. 
right? Right. He chooses to run away. It's like, well, no, but you you promised like you're betrothed to her. You're married. It's the first step of marriage. Like it's it's done. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, and this is the other thing. This is, uh, divorce in first century Israel. They live in a town, maybe at best two thousand people, at best. Right. Everybody knows everybody. You can't divorce her quietly. That's impossible. Everyone's going to know that Joseph and her are no longer an item, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. So, but Joseph, because he feels weak in this, runs away. But this is why the angel comes, not to say, actually, here is the hidden mystery that God has asked you to do, but rather you have perceived rightly, and that is precisely why God chooses you, mm-hmm. right? And so the angel comes to confirm in Joseph his intuition about what God is doing here. And so I've always preferred this interpretation since I found it many years ago, because I think it answers some of the questions. And I think it, it does a good job of balancing of not falling into too pietistic a, a, a vision because like Joseph, I still think overreacts, but it, and one thing it, it talks about what righteousness really is as a virtue for him. But secondly, mm-hmm. it deals with the reality of what divorce would actually be and it takes it seriously. So it actually gives a greater sense it, it it firms up the literal sense uh, much better uh because if it if we took it as divorce then it would not be quiet it can't be it's an impossible thing to be they're already betrothed everyone knows they're married so that's not gonna fly um and i think it also shows the it also fits with the whole um narrative of the infancy of the infancy stories in Matthew and Luke of this idea that there's a great mystery at play. God is at work in a fantastic way. And everyone who, every other encounter is one of awe and amazement, right? Elizabeth, Zechariah, differently, but Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, um, at the birth, etc. There's a specific thing at play there. So, yeah. So that's kind of the reverence theory in, in general. Okay, so one of the reasons why I like this, as I was listening to it, as uh, the deacon preached it, is like that question of God's calling me to something that is too big for me, or the the fear of entering into the holy because you're sinful, and basically a fear of the gift, and almost a rejection of the incredible gifts that God wants to Mm -hmm. give us. That's something that you can really, really preach on. you can talk about it with uh, vocation stuff, being called to the priesthood. Um, a lot of people will, will reject that call at the beginning because they know that they're not worthy. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what, buddy? Your worthiness isn't, isn't the point. God calls who he calls. God gives how, you know, how, uh, how he gives. Or even you know, the nervousness um, before the wedding day. It's like, this person is so good. Am I, am I up to the challenge? Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm not in a lot of ways. Well, that's where grace comes in. So there's a lot that you can do with that. Um, also, that just that that phrase "Do not be afraid" when an angel speaks that yeah. uh, is a great consolation mm-hmm. because the the whenever holiness appears, if if the person is or really any human being, but especially those who are righteous, those who are holy, the proper response is a kind of holy fear. Mm-hmm. This is something greater than me. This is something that I do not deserve. Uh, but the angel will often say, "Don't be afraid. God has something for you." Mm-hmm. Your reaction's correct in a sense, but also like embrace what God's giving you. So there's a lot you can do with that. But I don't think that the more common interpretation 
um, makes Joseph any less holy or righteous. Okay. Um, so, like, let's take the common interpretation. Joseph um, finds out that Mary's with child. He doesn't know to do this. He decides to divorce. Well, even if you, you know, imagine that Joseph believed Mary, if Mary spoke to him about this, and there's something that happens when we are faced with the immense complexity of God's plan, right? This, this sort of thing, I think, happens uh, similarly with um, John the Baptist mm-hmm. when he's in prison and he asks the disciple, his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one we're looking for or should we look for another? Are you the one who has come or should we look for mm-hmm. another? And even in that scripture, there's the kind of like a um, reverence reading of that. The only reason why John the Baptist sent his disciples with that were that so his disciples could believe. Right. So there's that too. But I think, you know, we've got John the Baptist who has seen Jesus, who knows Jesus, who points him out, but then is faced with like the evil of humanity, um, the fact that the plan doesn't seem to be going according to plan. How can this be? There's a kind of shaking up of the soul. And then there's an honest response to that. Like, how are you are you sure, God? Mm-hmm. And I think that's not a sinful reaction. Uh, so I think, you know, Joseph, yes, knowing that Mary is holy, yes, in a sense, believing here, but also like this doesn't make sense. And I need to back away from this because I don't know what to right. do. Um, so even like, you know, I, I want to divorce her. I'm going to try to do it quietly because I don't want anything bad to happen to her, even though realistically that's not a possibility. There's something about that very normal human struggle mm-hmm. with the immensity of God's plan mm-hmm. And the beauty of it faced with the sinfulness of humanity and the confusion that that shakes in us. I think you can read both ones as Joseph being pious and good, but also human and the drama of struggling with the greatness of God's plan in a messy world. Right. I, I think like I, I would actually argue, I think for me, that the reason I, I tend towards the reverence theory really pin, hinges on this idea around the divorce. Okay. Because... It is impossible, like, and it because the the text says, "Leave her or divorce her quietly," right? That's impossible. Yeah, but you know how this works, right? We we try to make bar we we bargain with God. Uh, very commonly, I think we know a lot of people were like felt called the priesthood, and they bargain with God, saying, "Oh, I should be uh, a deacon instead," which is not how vocation works. Or like you you believe something because you're so shaken up, even though it doesn't make logical sense. Like that's a normal human experience. So he's trying to do the right thing. Part of his brain knows it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. but he still doesn't know what right. to do. So I, I think that's fine. Need to think about this for a second. Here's the yeah. thing, this is, I mean, what, uh, a lot of the church fathers, when they're doing a homily or just talking about scripture, they will preach in one homily, one sermon, multiple interpretations of the same reading. Right. So they'll say, if you want to read it this way, this is what we can learn from it. If you want to read it this way, this is what we can learn yeah. from it. So I think my interpretation of this or, or how I would approach it in preaching all depended on what I think my community needed at the time. Right. Because like, what are the fruits or, or not what are fruits, but what needs to be said to the community right, right. now? Well, Scripture is very deep. It offers multiple interpretations. As long as the fruit of them are good, the conclusions are true, then you can preach on it. So I think I'm pretty flexible with this. I'm not like right. married, <laughs> married to one one or another. Yeah. Nor do I desire to divorce either. Really. Right. Um, yeah. No. I mean, like I like I said earlier, you can have the church allows for both interpretations, right? Uh, right? Because the text has an ambiguity to it that 
opens it up to this. I guess for me, it's just, it's more, this is where I guess it more gets into like, quote unquote, historical critical exegesis of, sure. is this, is this a historical possibility? Because if it's not, then divorce isn't a right reading of the text and it changes greatly how we read it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying it's not impossible to have that. I just, I, I it's why I struggle with the, the more common reading. Um, and, but I do agree, though, too, like with the way you went about it. It both, it, however, in both cases, they can show Joseph's uh, hesitation towards this mission, his hesitation yeah. towards mm-hmm. uh, what God is asking of him, which I think is a good thing. And I think, but so that that's kind of that's kind of like okay, that that's the interpretation of the text. And I would encourage you reading Redeemer and the Wood by Father Peter uh, Seward there to to uh, go a bit more deeper into that. It goes into the Greek and everything. But so let's let's pick out some of the virtues of Joseph in this. Oh, real quick yeah. before we do yeah. that, I think because I just want to comment on like the fact that a lot of people are very much um, attached to one reading or yeah. the other, and I think we need to remember that the if you're attached to a certain reading because that's what's brought you peace, um, that's how God has worked in your life, that's the mode in which you know grace has been received by you. Then okay, don't worry yeah. about the other one. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, don't, we don't need to be uh, freaked out or too shaken by the fact that there's different readings. Right both of which bring out things that are good, true, and beautiful. Yeah. Um, as long as we're willing to accept that, yes, there are other yeah. legitimate readings, and that's and okay. I think that's... But you don't need to, like, lose sleep well, over Well, that's this. the thing. I was like, I was, I was a little surprised by some of the reactions, and I'm like, guys, I'm not saying this is the only way of reading it. I'm also not saying that your way of reading it's wrong. I tend to definitely lean this way for my own reasons, sure. and I think those are legitimate. Yeah. You have your... But both are okay in the church. Some people are like, no, no, this is the only way to read it. I'm like, no... That's not how scriptural interpretation works in the church. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. well, sometimes it does, right? Yeah. Sometimes like, it does, yeah, yes. <laughs> literal sense, yes, Jesus did actually rise from the dead. There is no other way to interpret this, right? Yes, he was <laughs> actually true, born yeah. at Christmas. And there, uh, there is no other way uh, to, to read this. Or sorry, he was born in mm-hmm. Bethlehem on Christmas Day, whenever that was. Uh, um, so on and so forth, right? Like, there are definite clear things in scripture we can't deny, but it, sometimes there is an ambiguity in the literal sense that opens it up for different ways and the church allows for both or many, right? Correct. All right, so I, I picked out three virtues or characteristics of Joseph that I thought uh, were helpful from this reading. And the first one for me was awe or wonder. Mm-hmm. Or we use, can we use the old fashioned language, Father what? Harrison, of, of fear, fear of absolutely. God? Absolutely, absolutely, right? Yeah. He had this... And that's where I think his fear kind of went too far, right? Uh, yes. It's yes. like God's asking this of me, and I'm too weak, right? Mm-hmm. Mary is too holy. Like it's. Oh, by the way, this is a little interesting aside. The Eastern tradition tends towards, I would say, the reverence theory a little bit more, just in terms of its popular iconography. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever see icons of the Holy Family in the East, Joseph and Mary are never touching. <laughs> interesting. While in the West, they tend to be like cheek to cheek. We're a yeah. bit more romantic in the West, I guess, or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's because she is the Holy Theotoko. She is the God bearer. And she is the temple of God. She is the Holy of Holies. And no, she is the Ark of the Covenant. And no one can deign to touch that. Right? Yeah. Um, not like even like with a physical touch, right? So that's kind of a, mm-hmm. an ancient tradition in the East. Um, but this awe, wonder, fear of the Lord is is a good thing. And and some people are like, well, is that a virtue? I'm like, I think it actually is. 
Because wonder is something you have to habituate yourself towards, right? Fear of the Lord is something you have to habituate yourself towards. And he has this. He has this ability to perceive that he's able to perceive who Mary is. He's able to perceive a mystery of God at work in her. And it it kind of brings out the next one we're going to talk about, humility. But there is, in awe and wonder, there's always a deep receptivity in our humanity towards that. It says, I'm going to allow God to speak as he wants to speak and God to act as he's go- he wants to act. And I'm going to be wholly obedient and open towards that reality. That's where wonder begins. And that's where perception of spiritual things begins. Without wonder, we can't see these things. Otherwise, we see it in a more worldly sense of, mm-hmm. you know, Mary committed adultery here and blah, blah, blah. And, and. I, th- I think at least with this with this reading of it, uh, it tends towards uh, God is at work here. Oh my! Yeah. And I mean, and again, y- you have to have a spiritual openness to be to even allow like an angel to appear to you in a dream and stuff like this, right? And it happens to him multiple Definitely. times. So I think that awe and wonder is a key characteristic and even virtue of of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any comments on that one? Uh, no, that's okay. good. But I think also you're mentioning humility. Yeah. I think these things are deeply related. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the three are awe, wonder, um, humility, and then obedience. Good. I was hoping you were going to say obedience. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're right. They all they all tie together, right? The next one's humility, yeah. right? There is the deep recognition of Joseph of who he is in front of God. Mm-hmm. Even who he is in front of Mary. Yeah. Now we have to remember, and this is where I think it's important because like some people will take this reverence theory and they'll make then they'll make it over pietistic to the point where Joseph is essentially immaculate like Mary, immaculate. Right. I and mean, we it's not something we believe as Catholics. There's no tradition of this ever in the church. Um, mm-hmm. But there is something imitative in, in all this. But his humility says like he takes his, it's where it also shows you where a virtue can become a vice, uh, where you take a virtue so seriously that you actually you actually take it to an extreme that removes you from it being a virtue, right? He recognizes that he is a sinner in front of God's mystery and presence, and he feels so unworthy that he actually runs away <laughs> or wants to run away. Right. That's a good That's a good key to helping people understand themselves. Very often, if you examine yourself closely, your biggest virtues and vices will be very related to each other. Absolutely. It's often the one who is the most zealous that can easily fall into the trap of scruples. Yeah. For example, I think that's, that's a common one uh, where like, uh, or humility and pride. Um, people go back and forth with either believing they're the, the best person or the worst person. And it's like, well, neither of those are true. Very often the, the deeper conflicts we have in ourselves on our road to holiness, mm-hmm. the virtues and vices, vices, they really do mirror each other in our Absolutely. lives. And then the third one is obedience. So this is my, actually my favorite of the three in this story. Because mm-hmm. after the angel comes and confirms, yes, you are right, you have perceived God rightly, this humility to recognize, again, God is at work here and to listen obediently to that. What, it, it, I just love how the gospel ends. And when he woke up, he, he took Mary as his wife into his home, right? Like there's yep, no, there is no hesitation. It's, it, it's a great affirmation of the masculine heart of what we really ought. This is how men's hearts are, is when mm-hmm. they recognize a task that needs to be done, they often will just get up and do it right away. And that's that's right. an essence of obedience. It says, "I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be corrected by God." 
And and I also love how God corrects Joseph. It's not in a condemnatory way. It's a, it's in a gentle dream to say, yes, yeah. no, do what you are right. And they can even recognize the fragility of his of his humility to say you are right, and it's like you're, you're not like you are so wrong for being overly z- humble, but rather no 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 no, <laughs> your humility actually perceives something right, and God is asking this of you, so listen to God, and he just says yep, and I just love Matthew's like yep he did this right away, and it's actually one of the key characteristics of Joseph throughout the scriptures, how immediate like it's when they go to Egypt for example right. An yep. angel pierced him in a dream, and immediately they left to Egypt. <laughs> it's it's this constant yes, and it and it also I think it's beautiful because in many ways what Matthew is mirroring in Joseph, what Mary is like in Luke. Yeah, right? yeah, it's very true. This awe and wonder. I mean, they're different, right? Mary's because of Mary's sinlessness, there is no resistance at all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh but their awe and wonder towards spiritual realities, um, their humility, and then their obedience. That is that is the structure of both narratives. Uh, if you will, in a way, like some people will call this with Joseph, the annunciation of Joseph. Yeah, right? yeah I see that. And so there's a parallel between the two texts there. And because then these virtues are lived out in them because these are virtues of the son of God. These are, these are, these are key. So they reveal not to us just what they lived, but they also show us that these are key elements that God wants in all people and that we ought to live in our lives. Yeah. I just want to comment on the obedience thing because being obedient and fulfilling God's will does not mean you fully understand God's will. I think it's actually the same thing with, with Mary. Uh, when the angel announces this to Mary, she says, okay, uh, basically she's saying, I'm a virgin, how is this going to happen? And then the angel says, don't worry, Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which is not a complete answer, right? That doesn't like solve all the intricacies. That doesn't, but Mary knows, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of this. And so, yes, right? And I think also with Mary, you see that because she's pondering all these mm-hmm. things in her heart, like all the time. It's not like Mary grasped the totality of the mystery right. as soon as it's said to her. Because she's a human being. She can't. Right. It's impossible. But she trusts and she ponders on it and it enters deeper and deeper into her heart. So with Joseph at this thing, the, he knows what the angel has said. He knows what the angel said is true. Does that mean he grasps the totality of everything that's going to happen in his life and the life of his son mm-hmm. and the life of his wife? No, of course not. But God has given him enough to move forward. And also through this obedient yes, he has the strength then and he sees the fruits of it. And he has the strength to give another yes and a quicker yes when the angel says, time to go to Egypt, which in some ways is a bigger yes to say yes to, right? To the leave your home and family and everything, you know, after all this has happened. Mm-hmm. So obedience is both rewarded and then challenged with greater obedience. That's the life of the Christian. Yeah. So when God's asking you a big uh, ask, go back in your mind, go back in your memory, go back in prayer and realize when are the other times I've said yes to God? Look at the fruit it's born. Okay, let's try to do this again. Even if I don't completely understand it, even though I don't completely grasp the mystery, I can still carry out God's will in the way he wants me to. Yeah, and just as a little quick aside with all that, but um, I, there's a, when you're talking about Mary and, and her enunciation and like how, when he, like she's like, how will this be? There's also another interesting parallel between Mary and Zechariah, obviously. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just noticed it for the first time this week when 
Gabriel appears to Zechariah, he says, how will I know? Right? Yeah. And Mary is like, how will this be? There is a real mm-hmm. difference there, right? Zechariah wants a proof. He wants a certainty. There, there, mm-hmm. is, a, there is a removal of mystery he wants there, which is funny because he's in the Holy of Holies, the most mysterious of places, that he wants to remove <laughs> yeah. all veils. While Mary is not, she's okay with the mystery, but she's just like, right. okay, how's God going to, how am I supposed to cooperate with this? Right. right. Jesus is much more receptive. How will it be yeah. versus how will I yeah. know? So yeah. yeah. So that was. But yeah. So that was. Uh, that was my little kind of little review of my homily from the weekend, and and I just think it's a. I I propose it more. Just there are. It shows a. There are different ways to read scripture, and it's okay. And it doesn't uh, doesn't interfere with our life as Christians to have different interpretations, but also to expose people to the tradition and how things are interpreted sometimes, and they might answer nagging doubts or questions we have in our hearts. Because that's always the important yeah. thing with Scripture is to say, this is a difficulty. How can I come to understand this more deeply? And this is one way I think, I don't know, I find this satisfying for myself when I hear this Scripture. Sure. Yeah, I think it's really good. And I think... Um, if you approach this sort of discussion with an open heart, you can kind of realize that like meditation, prayer, searching the scriptures, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's there's a, a there's an aspect of play mm-hmm. to it. You are bouncing things off. You're you know approaching Christ with them. You're reading the Fathers. You're seeing what's going on in your heart. Yeah. It's an ex- it, it kind of gives you a glimpse at how interesting, exciting, new and fresh the interior life can be. Yeah. So I think it's uh, good. Yeah. So the next time we're going to see each other is in like six days. Oh, yeah. In we're going Phoenix to Phoenix, Arizona. For SLS. <laughs> so uh, our next podcast will be recorded there. Uh, we're really excited to see there. So we hope we'll see a bunch of you at SLS. We are recording on January 2nd. Keep an eye on our Twitter and stuff like that uh, if you want more details. Um about what time and so you can come to the recording uh please say hi to us if you're around we'd love to meet you uh we're just gonna be chilling for five days it's gonna be great you know where did you read where we're recording no so previously they had like these uh glass boxes you'd be recording we're recording in a van what I have no idea how it's going to work, but they have like a van that people are recording in. So come to SLS to see how doing a podcast in a van works because we don't know. <laughs> that is really weird. It is. I'm sure. I'm sure. It'll be I'm sure fine. it's fine. Um, so, yeah. So please uh, like and review the podcast on Apple because that's how people find out on Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it, please review it uh, because that's how other people can listen to the podcast. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash clerically speaking. And, you know, Father Anthony's been tweeting out a few homilies on there and we're going to be talking We're, we're now that we're all going to be there in person together, we can actually sit down and talk about how we want to, to help our Patreon supporters so much. Cause you know, this is uh, it's, uh, it's the last podcast of the year. So we, we, we are really grateful, I think, to everyone who supports us um, through your prayers, through your donations. Uh, we really enjoy this. This is a lot of fun for us. And uh, we're really grateful for all the support we've had over this last year. And we look forward to doing this again in, in 2020. Um, so, yeah, so like us. And then we're on Facebook uh, and clericallyspeaking.com. Email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find me at on Twitter at Father Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. You can find the podcast at Clerical Pod on Twitter. And uh, we hope that you all have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. God bless you all. Peace.